Well, if you're new or visiting, you might be wondering, who, who is this guy? My name is Jerry. I'm the campus pastor here at the Carmel, Carmel campus, and we're really glad to have you with us today. We realize there's lots of things you could be doing this morning. I mean, some of you, the really weird ones of you, you could be on the Monon Trail, biking, riding, exercising. I don't know why you'd do that. You could be at brunch this morning. Some of you maybe have the capacity to be sleeping in right now. I'm impressed if that's you. I I couldn't do it. But we're so glad that you're here. We know that you could be doing anything, but we think something really special happens when we gather together as a church family to celebrate Jesus and all of his goodness. So thanks for being here. Now, I tell you that to tell you this. If you are new, we are in the middle of a series on the end of the world. So happy Mother's Day. You are welcome for that, right? Nobody gets awkward when you talk about the end of the world. But we'll talk about that in in just a moment. But before we get there, I have a question that I want you to think about. What is the next big life event that you are anticipating? What's the next big thing in life that you're kind of counting down the days to? My daughter, Kate, just turned six recently, and she was really looking forward to that. It was a huge celebration. She loves birthdays so much that the, the, the moment she turned five, she immediately started anticipating six, right? And when you're young, birthdays are awesome, right? And so that's a good thing to anticipate. But maybe for some of you, it's a wedding. You, you are getting married, a friend's getting married, your, your child is getting married, and you're counting down the days to that wedding day. Or maybe it's the fact that summer is right around the corner and some of you are seniors and you're gonna graduate high school or college and you're really excited about that. Or maybe you're just a student in general and you're ready for summer vacation. Or maybe you're a parent, And you know that summer vacation is right around the corner and you're counting down the days and it's not a good thing, right? You're like, oh great, what are we gonna do with these kids? That's kind of me and my wife right now. Maybe it's the fact that uh, it's summer vacation and you're gonna go somewhere cool with your family. Our family is gonna travel down to Florida and that's a little over a month away and we can't wait to get there, especially when the temperature is in the 40s on a Sunday morning, right? We're like, let's get to Florida. But maybe for some of you, it's better than vacation. Maybe it's retirement, Is anyone in here counting down the days to retirement? My dad just retired after being at the same place for almost 45 years. And a few years ago, when he said, guys, I think it's time to retire, we got so excited for him. We're like, yes, dad, this is going to be great. You've worked so hard. And he's into retirement and trying to figure out what that looks like. Now, I bet I can read at least the mind of one person in here today. I bet at least one of you is thinking, I'll tell you what I'm anticipating, Jerry. I'm ready for you to stop talking so we can get out of here and go do something fun. And that's okay. We're all, I get it. I wouldn't want to listen to me for this long at all. We're all anticipating something, right? There's something out there, but here's something really crazy that I want you to think about. No matter what future event you're looking forward to or I'm looking forward to, many of the writers of the Old Testament and all of the writers of the New Testament let us know that they believe there is a future event that is coming that will impact all of us at the same time. Think about that. And so that's why we're calling this series The End. And we've been looking at what the key players in the New Testament, Jesus, Peter, Paul, and John, have to say about the end of the world as we know it. And I realize as I say that phrase, the end of the world, it brings up anxiety. It causes confusion. It brings up all kinds of questions. It sounds scary and ominous. And, and maybe you have some questions like, is it really possible to know like, what's going to happen in the future? How is that even possible? Or maybe you're asking some questions like, okay, maybe Scripture has something to say about that, but when's that going to happen? And what exactly is that going to be like? How will we know? 
And here's the good news. If you have ever asked a question like that, I just want you to know Jesus' disciples, the people that knew him best, asked him this question to his face. And today we're going to look at a conversation that's recorded in three of the four Gospels where Jesus says, oh, are you curious? Let me tell you all about it. But before we jump into that, I just want to say this. We realize here at Genesis, there are a lot of different interpretations and explanations when it comes to the events leading up to the end of life as we know it. And so for the last several weeks, we've kind of said, every week we're saying this, there's four core truths that anyone that followed Jesus should, should kind of subscribe to because these are things that we see in scripture. And the first is simply this. We believe that God has a plan. Things aren't just going to happen. God has a plan. And secondly, we believe that Jesus will return. Jesus himself promised, I am going to come back. Now, the third thing that we see in scripture, and this is where it gets sticky and uncomfortable. We see in scripture that every person will enter into one of two eternal destinations, heaven or hell. And Jesus himself talked about that. But the fourth point is this. Jesus said, I am the only way for you to get to enjoy heaven. He said, in other words, I am the key to God's redemptive plan. Now, I just want to acknowledge this up front. If you are new, if you've never been to Genesis before, if someone invited you and today is your first day, if you're new to following Jesus or new to studying the Bible, you might think, this place is weird. This sounds bizarre to me. And I'm just going to acknowledge up front, it is weird, right? It's weird in the sense that it's not normal and this isn't something that people talk about or that it's comfortable talking about. But I want you to think about this. Scripture teaches that there was a lady named Mary who became pregnant without ever being with a man. That's not normal. And it wasn't normal for people to believe and confess that Jesus, this guy that they could see and touch, was the Son of God in flesh. That's not normal. And it certainly wouldn't be normal for a guy like Jesus to die on a cross, to put his body in a cave, and for him to come back from the dead. That is not normal. But all of those things are core, essential truths that we as Christians hold to. We see it revealed in Scripture. And so with that in mind, even though that's, those things aren't normal, I just want to pray. And I want to ask for the Holy Spirit's help this morning and say, hey, Holy Spirit, would you lead us through this conversation together? And no matter where you fall on the spectrum, I'm, just, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to pray before I pray it. I want him to open our eyes, and I want him to open our hearts to what he has to say so that we can learn and we can walk forward in obedience. So let's pray. Jesus, I am very thankful that when your disciples asked this question to you, you didn't say, oh, that's awkward. Let's not talk about that. You actually gave them answers. And all throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament, there are just all kind of clues and hints and prophecies about what the end of days will be like. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would calm our nerves. And we ask that you would take our anxieties and that you would help us to see things in Scripture that we've never seen before. Give us ears to tune into what you want to say. And more than anything, Holy Spirit, will you help us to respond in obedience? No matter what that obedience would look like, help us to do whatever it is you're asking us to do with the reality of the return of Jesus. Jesus, we love you. And it is in your great name that we pray. Amen. Now, just in case you're not familiar with Jesus, Jesus said a lot of things about a lot of different things. But what I find fascinating is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, three of the four Gospels, there's a conversation, a specific conversation that is recorded about what the end of the world would be like. And if you want to follow along today, I'm going to encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 24. You can get there on your phone or your tablet. That is page 693 in the Bibles that are around the room. But while you're turning there, I got a question for you. 
If you had to guess, at what point in Jesus's ministry did he have this conversation with his disciples about what the end of the world would be like? When do you think that happened? Did it happen early on when they were getting to know him and understand who he was and what he was like? That might be a good time to talk about it. Hey, just so you know, if you're going to follow me, let me tell you what the end of the world is going to be like. Was it in the middle when he was performing miracles and casting demons out of people and turning water to wine and calming the, the sea? That could be a good time to say, oh, by the way, if you think that's cool, let me tell you what the end of the world is going to be like. But as it turns out, Jesus had this conversation with his disciples, the people that knew him best, a day or two before he was arrested and crucified and died. And as it turns out, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all give us details from this particular conversation. Now, if you're not familiar with Jesus's ministry, here's a fast-forwarded version of it. He lived in obscurity for 30 years. At 30 years, he was baptized. He's 30 years old, he started his ministry. And it lasted three and a half years. And one of the last things that he does is he comes into the city of Jerusalem about a week before he would rise from the dead. Okay, now he had been to Jerusalem a lot before this. So he had been there before, but this time when he comes into Jerusalem, something really special happens. We, in fact, we talked about this a couple weeks ago on Palm Sunday. A parade broke out. When Jesus entered into the city, people lined the streets from all over and they were waving palm branches and they were saying, you are the promised Messiah. We have been waiting for you for hundreds of years. God has told us you were coming. You are the true king of Israel. So needless to say, this parade was a really big deal. And I want you to imagine what it would be like to be one of Jesus's followers. You're walking into the city, the parade breaks out and you're walking with him. Wouldn't that be exciting? I mean, wouldn't there be a lot of emotion? Wouldn't you just be thinking about what does this mean and, and, and what's gonna happen? And surely you can understand the emotion of it all. I mean, this is the most holy city of Jerusalem. Now that happened on a Sunday and somewhere around Tuesday or Wednesday of that week, we see that Jesus came back into the city. And what we learn in the gospels, if you read, is Jesus came into the city and he stayed outside at night and he would come back in every day. And on about Tuesday or Wednesday, Jesus and his disciples come in back into the city of Jerusalem and they go to the temple. And the temple was like their church building. It was a sacred space. It was where they would go to worship and make offerings and sacrifices to God. And apparently Jesus's disciples were feeling pretty good. Like everybody loves them. And so they ask this, this one disciple just makes an observation to share with Jesus as they're leaving the temple. Mark 13, one says this. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Now, if you're like me and you've never had the pleasure of going to Jerusalem, you might be thinking, I don't understand the reference. Like, what, what's happening here? Well, I want to show you an artist's rendering of the city of Jerusalem. And this is, this is what people believe Jerusalem looked like in the days of Jesus. And here's the thing. Jerusalem is situated on the top, strategically situated on the top of a mountain, and there's huge walls all the way around the city, and inside those walls, there are some pretty magnificent buildings. And if you know this building kind of in the center here where the smoke is rising up, that'd be the temple. That's where they were standing. And so if you were a Jew in those days, or even a Jew today, you would look around and say, these are sacred spaces. And Jesus's disciples are saying, look, Jesus, Look at how beautiful this place is. Isn't this gorgeous? And you can't help but wonder if they're thinking, man, you're going to be king here. Just imagine the emotion there. Now, I can appreciate this because every time we travel out of town with our kids and we stay someplace that's a condo or a hotel, 
they freak out over the amenities. It's got an elevator. There's a hot tub. There's a pool. This is so awesome. You know why they feel like that? Because we don't have those things in our house. It feels like we're living like kings. And I think his disciples are thinking, oh man, look at this. This is yours. And because it's yours, it's going to be ours. And look at how Jesus responds in verse 2. Jesus says, oh, do you see all these buildings? All these great buildings? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Dang, Jesus. I mean, really? Gosh, have a cup of coffee, man. Take it easy. Now, Jesus didn't have any children of his own, but this is the closest picture I think we see of him being a parent. He totally kills the mood. And it's almost like he's saying, it's almost like he's saying, don't get too excited and don't touch anything because we're not going to stay wrong. We're not going to stay long. And if you keep reading into the next verse in all three gospel accounts, all the writers tell us the same thing. It just skips to later in the day, they leave the city, they go outside, they go up on the Mount of Olives, and they're sitting there and they're looking back into the city. And as you might expect, all three gospels tell us that his disciples came to him and they just ask a really simple question. They're like, hey, what are you talking about and when's that going to happen? Okay, but here's what I find fascinating. In the gospel of Matthew, Matthew records this conversation and he gives us more specific details. And he was one of Jesus's followers. So he's probably given us an eyewitness account to this story. And listen to how Matthew records the question of the disciples. Matthew 24, verse three says this. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And as, I've studied, as, as I have studied this, I thought that is a great question, right? You've probably wondered something like that before, but here's the thing. It's really not a great question. It's three great questions. As I've studied this this week, they say, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And I don't know about you. It just sounds like Jesus's buddies are starting to anticipate some really important future events. They could tell Jesus was very serious about what he said. And I wish we had time today to dive into all three chapters in Matthew 24, Luke 21, and Mark 13. But I'm going to guess you're like me and you got to go to work or school tomorrow, or at the very least you want to take mom to lunch today, right? So we're not going to go into all that detail. But what we are going to do, we're going to take this conversation from these three writers and we're going to mash it up together. We're going to go through it. We're going to get hit highlights from all three. And here's what we're going to find. We're going to see that Jesus says, if you want to know what the end will be like, I'm going to give you a few things to watch out for. In fact, I've, I've turned it into a five-point countdown. If you're curious, watch for these things to happen. But I would encourage all of you, at some point this week on your own, read Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. Same conversation. They all just have some different details. And we're going to start in Matthew 24, verse 8. Jesus' disciples say, when's this going to happen? When will you come? What will be the signs of the ends of the age? And Jesus says this in verse four, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Jesus says it's going to be awesome, guys. You can't wait. You can't imagine how great it's going to be, right? That's not what he says. He doesn't sugarcoat the details at all. He says it's going to be really rough. And then in verse 8, he says, oh, and by the way, all of these are just the beginning of birth pains. We're just 
getting started, just scratching the surface. And so if we were going to create a countdown on some things that Jesus would want us to know, maybe number five, if you're taking notes, I'd write this down. Jesus says, don't be caught off guard. Don't be caught off guard. He warns that there would be people that would come claiming to be the Messiah. And he says, actually, that's my job. I feel like I do that pretty well. If anyone else says that they're me, don't listen to them. But then he also says, don't be surprised when the world looks like it's a hot mess. It's part of the process. Don't let that freak you out. And I, I don't know about you, but in this day and age, doesn't it feel pretty dark? I mean, doesn't it just get a little scarier and a little stranger every day? As, as a husband and a father of four, I just, I don't, I don't even like to watch the news with my kids in the room because I don't know what the next story is going to be, and it can be really scary, but I want you to know this. Personally, I find comfort and even courage in knowing that Jesus said, hey, if you are curious, I'm just going to tell you what you can expect. Don't be freaked out. Just watch for these warning signs. Now, if you keep reading, Jesus says, by the way, there's some other things that you're going to want to be aware of, and in all three accounts, Jesus goes on to talk about a time of persecution that's going to break out against his followers. Now, I want to say this as a side note. There is some theological debate about when that will actually happen. Some people say it's happening now. Some people say it's going to come in the future. But here's what Jesus says. He's like, look, it is going, it's going to happen. You need to know that that's coming. And it sounds a little scary, doesn't it? Like for those of us that follow Jesus, you're like, oh man, I hope I'm out of here before, before that gets here. Look at what Jesus says in Luke 21, verses 17 and 18. He says, everyone will hate you because of me. That doesn't sound very fun. Next verse, though, Jesus says, not a hair on your head will perish. Stand firm, and you will win life. It will be scary, but I will be with you. But then Matthew records these details in Matthew 24, 12 through 14. Jesus says, because of the increase of wickedness in those days, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And then listen to this, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come, Jesus says. So he's already warned us, don't be caught off guard when things get weird and scary, and now he's reminding us there is a very important mission that all of us, all of you, are, are to carry out together. So number five, he says, don't be caught off guard. Number four, he says, the mission must be completed. So what's the mission? Well, if, you're, if you've been around Genesis for a while, we talk about this. We believe the mission that Jesus gave us is to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. It's a repeatable pattern, and that happens when we share the gospel of who he is, why he came, and how he can save us from the mess that we're in. And Jesus says, that is your mission, and it has to go throughout the whole world. Everyone will have an opportunity to hear about this. Now, I want to stop and take a breath and step back for a moment. And I want you to imagine you're one of those disciples. Put yourself in their sandals for just a moment. Do you think that maybe they regretted asking this question? If, I'm, if I am one of them, it would be so tempting to be like, hey, Jesus, I just, we just thought the people of Jerusalem liked you. Like, did you remember the parade? It was so much fun. But clearly, this is a touchy subject for you. We, don't, we, won't, we won't bring it up anymore, but you got to promise you're going to chill, okay? This is, this is scary. You're kind of freaking us out. But you know what? Jesus doesn't stop. He keeps going. 
And if you go back to the Gospel of Luke, in Luke 21, 20, Jesus says this. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Now remember, where were they sitting? They were sitting on the Mount of Olives, outside of the city, looking back into the things happening in Jerusalem. And he says, if you want to know what the end will be like, just watch right there. When you see things happening there, you know things are heating up. And look at what he says in verse 24. He says, Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, just in case you don't know what a Gentile is, a Gentile is anyone that's not Jewish. I am not Jewish. I am a Gentile. I'm going to guess many of you are like, are like me. And here's why this is so important. About 600 years before Jesus had this conversation with those disciples on that hill, 600 years before in 586 BC, a group of Gentiles known as the Babylonians came in and completely destroyed the city of Jerusalem, tore it down totally, took the people away into captivity. It is a historic event. You can Google it later today. It happened in, in it, it, it happened. It's history. But here's, here's the crazy thing. About 50 years after that happened, the Israelites were allowed to return to the city of Jerusalem. And they rebuilt the walls and they rebuilt the cities and it was a pretty nice place again. But Jesus, his disciples didn't realize this, but what Jesus was saying is, if you want to know what the end's going to be like, I'm going to tell you that's going to happen again. And about 35 years later, in 70 AD, the Roman leader Titus came in and wiped the city out all over again. Jesus prophesied that it would happen. One of his greatest prophecies. He, he was able to say, if you want to know what it's going to be like, pay attention. It'll be leveled for a second time. But here's what's really, really, really crazy. Throughout the course of time, Jerusalem has been built up again. And about 2,000 years after that, in 1948, in one day, the nation of Israel became a nation again. And needless to say, the city of Jerusalem has been a hotbed topic for a lot of reasons, right? People are fighting over who it belongs to. And, and I, just for fun, I wanted you to see what modern-day Jerusalem looks like. Here's a picture of modern-day Jerusalem. Beautiful, thriving city. And just in case you haven't watched the world news over the last 70 years, that is still a hot topic of debate. People are still really interested in what's going to happen with Jerusalem. And given Jesus' words in Luke 21, when it comes to what the end's going to be like, it seems wise for us to at least keep our focus and say, what's happening in and around there? Because Jesus said, if we watch that, we're going to know when we're close. But Jesus said, don't just watch Jerusalem. I've got some other places for you to watch. Luke 21, 25 and 26, Jesus says this. There will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and the tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Now, side note. When Jesus talks about the heavenly bodies being shaken, he is not talking about Steve Wallen's hula hoop routine. That's not the heavenly body in discussion here. Jesus says the actual sun and moon and stars will show you what you, when the time is near. And so if you're taking notes, this is important, write this down. Jesus says the warning signs will be obvious. You won't be able to miss them. You will know when you are in that season. And I realize this sounds pretty weird and scary, doesn't it? In fact, as I look out at many of you, those of you that are awake, some of you have your eyes, you're like locked in on me. 
And you're like, oh my gosh, this is, I've never heard this before. This is kind of creepy to talk about. But here's the thing. I don't think Jesus shares this with us to scare us. You could argue he's actually trying to encourage us to, hey, like, don't freak out. It's okay. I'm telling you what's going to happen just so you know what's coming. But just in case you're like me and you find yourself, you're a little overwhelmed with the state of the world today or you're anxious about what the future holds for you and your kids and your family and where things are headed, Jesus actually has another really important thing that he says you're going to want to know this too. This one's really important. Look at Luke 21, 27, and 28. At that time, Jesus says, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And of all the details that Jesus could share with us, I think this is maybe the most important. If you're writing this down, number two, Jesus wants you to know he will return in power. He will return in power. And I would even add great glory. Everybody's going to watch and be in amazement at his return. And here's why this is so important. You know this. When he came 2,000 years ago, he came in humility. He was born as a helpless baby to poor peasant parents. He lived in total obscurity for 30 years. And at the end of his ministry, he died a brutal, grueling death on a cross. But when he died, he died as an act of obedience to his heavenly father. And when he died, he died as a sacrifice for me and for you and for every sin that we would ever commit, great and small. But in these passages, Jesus says, it's going to be different. I'm not coming in humility. I'm coming in power to judge the living and the dead. And this judgment, it's not going to be handed down in anger and in frustration. It's going to be handed down in justice because on that day, justice will be served. And on that day, anyone, any one of us, anyone, uh, any person ever that has ever lived, that has surrendered their life to Jesus and trusted in his death, burial, and resurrection, will get to stand with him in victory over sin and death. That's a good thing. But on that same day, anyone who has refused to trust in Jesus to pay for their sins, they're going to get what they want and they're going to get what they deserve. And according to Jesus, that is eternal separation apart from God in a place called hell. And that's really scary. And that's not fun to talk about, but those aren't my words. Those are Jesus's words. And I realize it sounds very scary. It sounds incredibly harsh. It sounds annoyingly exclusive. But if Jesus is who he says he is, and if he has promised to do some things that he, only he could do, I think we would be really, really wise to pay attention to what he is saying and to know what he, how we could respond to what he is saying here. I want you to listen to some words that Jesus shared in John chapter five. This comes from much earlier in his ministry, but Jesus is having a conversation. And in the middle of that conversation, he says this. John 5, 24 through 29, he says, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he's the Son of Man. And then listen to what Jesus says. Don't be amazed at this. For a time is coming 
when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and will come out, and those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Jesus has made it abundantly clear that there will be a day that he's going to return in power and glory. And at the same time, he reminds us of something really important. Number one, be prepared. You have an opportunity to be prepared for these things. Listen to how Jesus wraps up this conversation with his disciples in Matthew 24. His words. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs gets tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it's near. It's right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. And then here are three verses at the end of this conversation that Jesus shares. Matthew 24, 36, he says, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, only the father. Jesus says, I don't even know when this is going to happen. I'm just telling you it's going to happen. Verse 42, therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. And verse 44, so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. And so if you have ever wondered, well, what will the end be like? How can we know? Jesus says, okay, I'm gonna tell you. Five, don't be cut off guard. Four, the mission must be completed. You all have a mission to live out. Three, the warning signs will be obvious. Pay attention to what's going on in the world. Two, I'm going to come in glory and power. And one, be prepared. And so my question for all of us, actually, I think Jesus' question for all of us is, are you prepared? And if you're here and you're nervous and you're anxious, I understand it. It's not a fun topic to talk about. But if you have confessed Jesus as your Savior, if you believe he died to pay for your sins and you've said, I, I, that, yes, Jesus, I need that. You've been baptized into him. You're prepared. Now he's given you a mission of making disciples and sharing the gospel everywhere you go all the time, all of us together. So don't be afraid. Be prepared and be on mission. But maybe you're on the other side of things and you're thinking, I don't really think I'm prepared. I've never, like I know about Jesus, but I've never done any of those things. Can I just say, I remember being where you are. I remember sitting in my in-law's living room a few months before we were married and I was having a conversation with my mother-in-law, and I want you to know, everybody's got mother-in-law stories. My mother-in-law was the sweetest person on the planet. I mean, the sweetest person to walk this planet. And when she talked about Jesus, she talked about Jesus like he's coming over in five minutes for dinner. Do you want to join us? I mean, he, she had an amazing relationship with the Lord. And so she asks me this question, and she couldn't be condemning if she tried. She was so warm and inviting and welcoming, and she asked me this question. She said, Jesus, or Jesus, she said, Jerry, I'm not Jesus, I'm Jerry. Jerry, what do you believe about Jesus' return? Now, I grew up in a great home, and I was taught there's one God in heaven. Jesus is his son, and he has died for your sins. And I, like, I knew all that right here. But I never had ever thought about Jesus returning to the earth and this is no lie, you guys. My whole, my whole life flashed in front of me at that moment. And this is what I realized. If he came back right then, my mother-in-law and Jesus are going to be over here. And I was over here. I knew a lot about him. I had sang some songs to him. But I had never 
said, I am a sinner and I, I need what you offer me. And so if, if you find yourself there today, I understand where you are. And I remember shortly thereafter saying, okay, Jesus, I believe. And I surrendered and I was baptized and my life hasn't been the same. And it's not because I'm a good guy. It's because he's, he's working inside of me to be more and more like him. And I mess it up all the time. But if you find yourself over here, Jesus says, you need to be prepared. There is a day coming and you will be separated from me and from my heavenly father. And I don't want that for you. Come to me. Put your trust in me. Let me, let me pay for the price that you can't pay. And so I think as we walk out of here today, you got to decide how will you obey? Will you stay on mission with Jesus? Or is it time for you to get on mission with Jesus? If you've never made a decision to follow him, I would invite you during this next song, come down and talk to me or talk to the person that brought you. And if you've never followed Jesus, it's real simple. You have to admit you're a sinner. You've messed things up and you pray and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need the grace and the mercy that you provide. Will you forgive me? And you know what's amazing? He doesn't give you paperwork to fill out. He doesn't give you a test. He says, guess what? You are adopted into my family. You're prepared. And you respond by being baptized into him and you get on this mission with the rest of us. If you have never made that decision, I don't know what you're waiting for, but today could be the day because he could return at any time and you're gonna to wanna to be prepared. I'm gonna pray, we're gonna sing. And if you need to talk to somebody, I'll be right down here. We'll have some folks from our prayer team that would love to talk with you. Please don't leave here today without at least starting the conversation. Let's pray. Jesus, I remember that night in that living room and you became very real to me. And I am so thankful for my sweet mother-in-law who is with you now. I am so thankful that she just asked me a really simple question about what I believed about your return and it changed everything for me. It changes the way I am as a husband. It changes the way I parent. It changes the way I view everything because Jesus, I personally believe you are who you say you are and I believe you are gonna return in power and great glory. And I, I am thankful for the people in this room and listen to this podcast and the people of Genesis Church and the people all around the world that have confessed your name. You live inside of us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Would you help us to stay on mission, to share our faith and to share the love that you have for us? But I pray, Jesus, I pray for every person that has never confessed your name. I, I have to imagine right now, Holy Spirit, you are nudging them. I remember you nudging me. I just pray that you would speak to them very clearly and you would help them to respond to Jesus in obedience and you would change their life in ways they never imagined. They wouldn't have to be afraid. They wouldn't have to live in shame or guilt. They could live in joy and peace that comes from knowing you. They would be prepared and you could come today and they could celebrate. Would you do what only you can do, Holy Spirit, and draw people to you right now? We love you. Jesus, it is in your powerful and glorious name that we pray. Amen.